Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Um, glad you're here. Today is the day where Paul and I are going to answer your questions. Hopefully, some, some of you have brought questions up here for us written on index cards. If you have yours and haven't handed it in, um, just hold it up and I'll come and collect it. And there are more index cards up here if you want to write one during the class. If a question pops in your mind, just hold it up and we'll come get it. And so we'll get to it. We haven't looked at any of these and we have no handwriting experts that we've hired to go through these afterwards Not yet. to root out who the heretics are. No. So this, this was fun when we did it uh, a few weeks ago and hope this will be fun today as well. We will try to keep our answers short so we can get to all the questions. And then if there's time, we'll just take questions from the floor out loud if you'd like to do that. Let's uh, bow in a word of prayer and then we'll get to your questions. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day, the change of the seasons. And uh, we pray for our church, First Presbyterian Church, that we would continue to be a faithful, Christ-centered, Bible-believing, missions-driven church uh, with all the arrows pointing outward to this broken world around us. Uh, Lord, uh, we meet after an election's taken place. May we all be reminded that you are still on the throne no matter who wins, who loses. Uh, we tend to put more into politics than really is, is there. Your word tells us that sometimes you just laugh at the nations. We think it's also important. As my brother Paul says, none of this makes you nervous. And so may we relax knowing that your hand's on the helm and that you're weaving anything and everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, into your perfect plan of salvation for not just our lives, but for the whole creation. May we truly believe that, and may we uh, then embrace the, uh, the peace and the courage that comes from believing that as we live our lives. Lord, uh, guard, guard our hearts today by your Holy Spirit. Paul and I don't want to say anything that would confuse anybody or lead somebody down a wrong path. We want everyone built up in their faith in Christ here this morning. May that truly happen so that you might be honored and glorified. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Next week, Paul is going to teach one Sunday. Then I'm going to teach the Sunday after that. Then he's going to do a series taking us on through, uh, I guess, the other side of Christmas or whatever. And then we'll figure out. I've been thinking about doing a series in here on how do we, as Christians, navigate the current culture we're in, which, from my perspective, is a, now a culture of darkness and death and even tyranny. Um, how do Christians faithfully do that without making idols out of political parties or candidates or anything like that. It's not easy. Um, but I thought maybe I'd try doing something like that and so um, we can all together try to figure out how to faithfully navigate what is a different world to me than in my lifetime than it's ever been in the United States. Anyway, so that may or may not happen. I don't know. Well, let's get to our questions. Does, does, does someone here have a, a, a clock where you could kind of time us on these answers, like for two minutes, and throw a tomato or something? So it, at least, it, okay, good, you could do that. 
Yeah, I was looking for Garland. Gar Garland did it last time. But if, if you could just let us know authoritatively, your time is up. Because, and we, we have both of our email addresses on the board uh, because the nature of these questions is that they'll always generate more questions. And, and this kind of puts us on the spot because we don't have time to prepare or think about it. So uh, sometimes the best we may be able to do is to eloquently evade it and sh shuffle it aside. But we'll, we'll, we'll try to do the best we can. And then you can email us later and then we can uh, have some time to think about it. And uh, by the way, I would email as many people. I, not, not only, we're not the authoritative source, but you know, we, we have a senior pastor, Mitchell, uh, Joe. Email anybody and everybody with all your questions. Get as much input as you can. You know, because you know, the, the Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. So you know, rather than say, well, you know, this is what one guy says or another guy says, you know, I mean, if you ask five people and four of them tell you one thing and, and I tell you something different, I wouldn't listen to me. I would, I would go with the other four. <laughs> so, you know, because it's a wide consensus. And you need to know your pastors who would welcome that. Good pastors welcome theological dialogue with lay people and anybody else. Uh, I know a few pastors that don't. That's not kind of not the kind of pastor you want pastoring no, your church. You don't have that here, and I always welcome that. I get yeah. turned on by lay people who are actually interested in Amen. That's grow right. deeper in their their faith. Yeah, you don't want your pastor to look like the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. You know, uh, just, in, in just, our, just shut up and do it. I tell you, you know, that's it. That's not what you want. Okay, Doctor Skates. I just want to. Say, I remember at a break at a presbytery meeting, a couple of elders from another church came up to me and. They said they were upset about the last vote. And I said, well, so you didn't like the outcome? No. And then one of them says, yeah, we can't believe we had to vote for that. I said, what do you mean had to vote for that? Well, our pastor on the way here told us how to vote. And I said, what, and you obeyed him? Well, he's our pastor. And he's a PhD and he's smarter. I said, oh my goodness. No wonder the church, 88% of churches in America are in decline. You all, need to do what's right, not listen to If any pastor's not preaching in line with this, talk to him, and if he won't change, find another church. With that, here's the first question, and it's going to go to Paul. Cremation and a resurrection body. Yep. <laughs> That's going to happen. Yeah. That's... Uh, you know, I just have one comment to make about cremation, and it's a very intensely personal thing. I've struggled with this. People have asked me this over the years. You know, what what should we do? And it's, well, what's the difference? You know, whether you turn to dust in ten minutes or if, if it takes a thousand years. I mean, dust is dust. But uh, I, I wanted to find something from Scripture, and. Uh, all, as you stand back and you look at the scripture, you see that whenever a body was burned, it was usually a, a shame. And, and it was a shame and horrible conditions under which those people uh, were disposed of like that. All godly people were given a burial in a tomb or something else. But uh, whenever there was an, uh, an ignominious, if that's how you say it, you know, just a, a horrible, tragic death, and they just burned the bodies, it seemed to be a disgrace. It, it, it just looks like that. And, and, and I encourage you, look at the scriptures yourself and, and see what you want to do. And nowadays, it seems the most, uh, the most uh, driving appeal is that it's so much cheaper. 
And, you know, instead of having to buy a plot of real estate, you know, you can pay for a drawer somewhere. But, you know, <laughs> you know these drawers could also get expensive. You know, and I mean, you know, dust is dust, and the Lord, the Lord will have no problem uh, reconstituting ashes. Or like uh, Ron was saying a couple of weeks ago, you know, if you're buried at sea and you've been recycled by, you know, bottom feeders, you know, as, as grotesque as that sounds, God has no problem with any of this. I think my time's up. Next question. Well, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's right. Yep. And, and as far as this clay container, it's, it's really not that important. Okay. Um. <laughs> Get my eyeballs out here. I should have brought mine, and now I... New World Church. Is our church aware of this happening? What do we do about the New World Church? I'm not familiar with the New World Church. Um, and probably our church is not aware because I'm not, not that I know everything. Um, I'm, I'm assuming this, whoever wrote this, sees this as a heretical church somewhere. There are a lot of them out there. Um, I would have to go look this up and see what they believe. Always check out the beliefs of any denomination or church and make sure they're orthodox. That's, you check them out against the Apostles' Creed. Uh, if they don't affirm the Apostles' Creed, that's probably not a group that you, you want to hang out with. If, if their statement of faith does not have the first thing as the inspiration of Scripture, then anything goes. If, if, if they're not standing on the foundation of the inspiration of the Word of God, then they could say whatever they want. They could just make it and say, well, it, it doesn't matter. You know, we just, you know, we, maybe we'll take some advice, but uh, that's the main thing. Once that goes, everything else is just yeah. up for grabs. And then the next thing you know, we have the freakish, bizarre things we see going on now in churches. Yeah. And if they don't affirm the Trinity, that's the next thing to look for. Yeah. Uh, there's right. a lot of them. Yes. yes, these oh. people are called, these Unitarians, they're called oneness. And in certain uh, theological, oneness, because they believe that Jesus is the only uh, God. And, you know, so uh, uh, we, we, we used to call them oneness to less, because, because they were subtracting. They were, so, well, you know, when Jesus was being baptized, a voice came from heaven. Well, you know, they think Jesus is a ventriloquist, and, uh, you know, that he threw his voice to come from heaven, say, this is my beloved son. He was talented, you know, but uh, no, not. It's, 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 it's ludicrous what they believe. And they, they, these people also used to call themselves new lights. And, and it was a very prideful term. You know, they said, because we have new light. And if you weren't so stupid and you had more light, you'd see it too. So, you know, it, pride shows up all the time with, in, in, in spiritual one-upmanship where people are trying to say, well, I'm, I'm smarter than you. And if, if, if you were as full of the Holy Ghost as I am, you'd see it also. And it's foolish. Pride. I mean, you know, we got 2,000 years of church history. There's no such thing as a Unitarian oneness scholar. So that's something to remember. Right. Okay. Next one goes to you. Oh, I thought I just did. Oh, did he? I'm sorry. Give back. Okay. Here you go. Back okay. Please okay. do. Luke 11, 14 through 28, especially verses 21 through 28. Could you explain what Jesus is teaching here? Okay, look it up. Luke 11, 14 through 28. 
says, oh, this is about Jesus and Beelzebul. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them says he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And verses 21 through 28, which they said particularly to comment on, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one, one stronger than he attacks him, overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Well, this is, I don't remember in the Apostles' Creed where this is, but the, Jesus is blatantly talking about the reality of Satan and the demonic. Um, I, believe, I don't believe in Satan. I only believe in Jesus, but I believe Satan exists. And I believe the demonic is real. I have personal experience with that. Uh, as one person said to Billy Graham one time, do you really believe Satan is real? He said, oh, I know he is. I talk to him every day. And uh, Satan and I have our conversations every day and his demonic legions come to me, probably to all of us disguised as angels of light and would love for you and me to self-destruct and go down wrong paths. And I think Jesus is saying, they were accusing Jesus of being demon-possessed. You know, he's doing these healings. By the way, the demonic can heal. Just because somebody can heal somebody of a disease, disease does that, that does not mean that person is of God. You remember the Pharaoh, Moses before the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, Moses does all these miracles. And then it says Pharaoh's magicians come and duplicate every one of the miracles except one. And that's producing gnats. And so next time you see a cloud of gnats, remember, they, Satan can't, he doesn't have any power over them. They're the one animal, I guess, that's uh, okay. Anyway, um, don't, the demonic is real. As Christians, we do not need to be afraid. Uh, Satan's on a leash. I don't know why Satan exists. I don't know why God allows him to continue. But he is on a leash. Um, he doesn't have comp complete control over us. If you're a believer, I don't believe you can be possessed. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit has taken up a residence in you. I, I just don't believe the Holy Spirit's going to sit there and live in the same room with a bunch of demons. Or there'd be such a, a ruckus going inside you. Uh, so I don't think that can happen. But you can be buffeted, attacked, uh, plagued, uh, bothered seduced by this world of the demonic. 
But the, the real point Jesus is making is that if, if I'm casting out demons by Beelzebul, anybody know what that word literally means? Lord of the flies. It's another synonym for Satan. Um, Lincoln said, a house divided itself, he was quoting this text, cannot stand. And Jesus is making that point. You know, if I'm casting, okay. And there's one other thing. First, Second Corinthians 5.10, saved by grace or things done. We're saved by grace alone. The, the grace that saves is alone, but the grace that saves is never alone. It'll always be followed by works. Right. Someone said, someone smarter back in church history, but it's... Right. Okay. The word anxious, anxiety, in Philippians 4, 6 appears differently in various translations. What do you think of the word in context? Be anxious for nothing. Do that. Don't 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 be. There's nervous energy and people that just have a, a nervous bent in their personality that they they always want to worry about something. Uh, I, I I might have mentioned this in one of the series I, I did over the last year uh, about when we were talking about worry maybe in the Lord's Prayer. This this guy is friend of mine, close friend of mine. His his mother-in-law was a real worry wart. And she was always worried, and, and, and they said, Nana, you know, don't you realize that 99% of what you worry about never comes to pass? And she said, oh, it works that good, does it? So, so now that's, that's not the idea. It doesn't work that well, but people think if I worry about something, then it won't happen. And uh, to be anxious for nothing, especially in, in the context of Paul's letter to the, Philippi to the Philippians, you know, what we really need from the Lord is to be right with him. And uh, I don't have to be anxious and nervous about uh, whether his sufficiency is going to be enough. He is supreme, and therefore he is sufficient. We just love to make a big deal out of Jesus. That's, uh, isn't he wonderful? I quote that verse to myself every day in my quiet time, be anxious about nothing, but in everything with thanksgiving and prayer, make your supplications known to God and the God of peace. I said, Lord, please fill me with that peace. Amen. Um, you know, the best way to deal with worry is to really double down on believing the sovereignty of God. I mean, God's either sovereign or he's not. There's no, oh, he's pretty sovereign. No, that's, uh, he's, he's either sovereign over everything or he's not. If he is over sovereign, if he is sovereign over everything, then that means you are held in his hand and Jesus says nothing can snatch you from my hand. And if you really believe that, it, it gives me, and the verse is not, it says be anxious about nothing. Uh, so I, I always say be anxious about nothing, 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 nothing. Because I tend to worry, but we don't really need to. God is going to make a way. Um, it may not be the way we like or want, but nothing's going to derail his train. That's for sure. And we're on that train. Right. Uh, one thing Ron mentioned in his study of the Apostles' Creed, and I don't know why I never saw this, but a couple of times when you mentioned, I believe in God the Father Almighty, and you stressed Almighty, that really hit me. And, and I, 
Don't you love when that happens, when, when you hear something in church that solidifies the sovereignty of God and it just brings us this peace that passes understanding? You know, why all of a sudden do I feel so much better? Well, because God is almighty and he has no problem with your problem. So, you know, we, we have problems, you know, we, we get nervous, we, we get anxious. God has no problem with any of those things. So uh, someone was asking about, well, you know, you know doesn't the Lord uh, get, get uh, uh, frustrated with us with our little problems or with our big problems? Do you think any problem is big for God? I mean, is anything too hard for the Lord? So, nothing, our time's up. We want to move on to the next nothing's question. Nothing's too small. The Apostle Creed says Christ was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Third day he rose again from the dead. Luke 10, Luke Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus tells the thief on the cross, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. How do these relate or connect? Okay, uh, when the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, descended to hell, that we talked about the Creed really wants you and me to know that Jesus really did die. He didn't swoon or wasn't some play death, pretend death. And so there's, if you look at descended into hell as being, it, that can be just a, a fourth way of saying dead, 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 really dead. Uh, and there's speculation, what, where and what did Christ do between the moment he cried out, it is finished, and the moment he emerged from the tomb. The Bible's kind of strangely silent on that, except this verse where Jesus turns to the thief on the cross and says, today you will be with me in paradise. So um, paradise is not the fulfilled kingdom of heaven. Paradise, I think when you and I die, if, if Christ hasn't returned, we will have the same fate as the thief on the cross. We will be with Jesus at that moment of death in Paradise, but we will be a disembodied spirit, but that's not the way God wants. That's not the ultimate uh, form of existence you and I will have. Um, there's a cryptic part in Peter, 1 Peter, where it says Jesus went and preached to the people in Sheol or Hades, particularly those in, before the Noahic flood. And uh, I tried to preach a sermon <laughs> here back in the 1980s on that text because it was a lectionary text for that week. And I thought, well, I'll come to this cold and try. And it was probably the worst sermon I ever preached. And probably none of you were there because you're still here in this church. And if you'd been there, you probably would have left. <laughs> but I, I was too young a pastor to try to figure that out. And um, so I, I, I don't... I can't say exactly. The greater, greatest theologians in the world have speculated what, where and what was Jesus doing? Um, one day we'll know. Yes, that's the main thing. We will know. He wasn't and, wasting his time, I'll tell you. And, and we will be satisfied and comforted 
and will glorify the Lord forever based on these things that we don't know now. When we find out, no one's going to say, eh, you know, I think he could, could have done a little better on that. No, everything that he's done is going to be so perfect. And by the way, uh, what Jesus told that thief on a cross, today you'll be with me in Paris, that's where we want to be. I don't know exactly where that is or how it's going to be. That's where I want to be with Jesus yep. in paradise. Yep. Yeah, you know, some people thought whatever hell is, Jesus went there. I think he descended to hell actually happened on the cross. I, I think whatever hell is utter separation from God. Now, if Jesus is fully God and fully man, well, how does fully God part separate? I don't know. That's one of those things that I believe in God, the Father Almighty. He can make that happen. So Jesus experienced utters forsaken. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, and, it's, and Jesus experiences it on a cosmic level. I mean, if you and I went to hell, we would experience it on a personal, individual level. He experienced it on a cosmic level, it, taking in all of hell into his very being. And, but I think that happened on the cross when he said, it is finished. Um, and then he, the phrase, he descended into hell. Again, people are divided what that really means. He descended, some translations that creed put, he descended to the dead. Uh, that he went to Sheol, the land of the dead. Yeah, he probably did. And, uh, and he was also in paradise. Again, I, I'm on the praise committee, not on the planning committee. Praise God that he, whatever needed to be done, Jesus did it on the cross. It is finished. No more sacrifice need to be made. You don't have to fear hell. He's gone there wherever and whatever it is. He's already taken care of that on your behalf. So it's an impossibility for a believer to wind up in hell. Impossible. Yeah, no. I think this, uh, you know, he took on the the life of a human being while he was here, and so he died as a human. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important. I think that's what they meant by descending to hell. He had a human death, yep. uh, and the experience of death that we will experience at that time. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think the thief on the cross thing is something we all really need to hold on to. Because it's a reminder that at the moment of death, we don't go into some kind of soul sleep where, you know, you're, you're not conscious. And then when the resurrection happens, you wake up. It says, today you will be with me in paradise. I think Jesus is saying, you know, you're, it's going to be a conscious. We believe as Reformed Christians that the Bible teaches we'll be of a conscious presence with God. You'll be fully aware of who God is. You'll experience Christ's unveiled glorious presence. Uh, we're not, you know, slumbering in a state of animation, suspended animation until the 
till the return of Christ. And, and that story Jesus told about the rich man and, and Lazarus, Lazarus who was laid there at the gate of the rich man, and they both died, and uh, Lazarus was carried into Abraham's bosom, good place. The other guy was in torment. And he said, and, you know, and here he is saying, Lord, send Lazarus, you know, still thinking Lazarus was his lackey. Lord, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. Nope, there's a great gulf. So, you know, by the way, if you have any friends uh, that uh, think praying to saints works, uh, here was a guy praying to Abraham. That's a heavyweight saint if there ever was one, and it doesn't work. <laughs> praying to saints doesn't work. So uh, this question, why don't we teach the healing gifts of the Holy Spirit in our church. Well, uh, I've not been in this church long enough to authoritatively comment on that, but uh, I could just say something about, about the healing gifts. Even though churches may not have an official uh, statement one way or the other on that, uh, if we believe God is sovereign, we know God can do anything. And uh, if, if, if you were sick or if I'm sick, I would ask you, Tom, hey, would you pray for me that the Lord will do something for me? I mean, I, I would ask any Christian, you know, would you pray for me? Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you that. Would, would you pray for my knees? <laughs> I mean, I, I was in the emergency room uh, this, this past week just because uh, my knee flared up and I thought I had water that had to be drained. And the guy said, nah, you're, you're just, your arthritis is so bad. Your, your shots aren't you, you You need to start getting those aftermarket parts. So, but uh, yeah, I, I used to be a member of let my membership lapse. I used to be a member of the Society of Saint Luke, which is uh, scientists who be, are believers and um, doctors, medical community. And uh, when I was an associate pastor here, uh, I got to go to Scotland and study for a month, and I studied the whole aspect of faith and healing, and came back, and I said to Lewis, and I said, Lewis. Let me talk with you about this. And we did. And we started a healing service. We had a once a month healing service that went on for, I don't know how many years. I left. Somewhere along the line, it stopped. I came back back in 2015. I started it up again. And I saw healing miracles in that service. One couple who'd been infertile for 10 years told they were both infertile, couldn't have a baby. And in desperation, they came to that service. They came up, we laid hands on them, prayed. There are always a couple of elders there with myself. And nine months later, um, and about, I don't know, about 12 months later, I baptized that, that baby. Um, now you could say, well, it's a coincidence. Well, or, <laughs> not. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Amen. And we talk not just, that, you know, we tend to think of physical healing miracles. That's the last thing that's most important. First of all, I used to talk in that service about it. the most important thing is spiritual healing. Right. If you're not a believer, that's, it's your heart needs to be healed. And relational healing, uh, physical healing. Um, we prayed the gamut. And we taught. I taught a class here when I was an associate pastor on healing in the faith. And... So, and we believe that as Presbyterian type Christians. And, and the verse in Isaiah that uh, healing proponents usually quote is, you know, but by his stripes we're healed. It's, it's quoted again in, in Matthew. But uh, the most important healing is the spiritual healing. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, you can get to heaven with, with diabetes. And, and cancer and, and cirrhosis or whatever you have. But uh, the sin will keep you out. And that's, 
it's much more important to have that taken care of. I, I, I assume the question here is really, are, have we, are we going to be a neo-Pentecostal church or not? And we've decided no. Um, if you know anything about Pentecostal movement, it's all about emphasis on gifts and healings. And I'm not against that. But if you read scripture, that is, those are peripheral things to the core of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And healings and other kinds of stuff, that's, that's the spokes that come out of the wheel. So some churches emphasize certain spokes more than the others. Um, and the neo-Pentecostal movement, my experience with it, often gets uh, loose from scripture. Have you ever had a Christian come up to you and say, the Holy Spirit told me X? Okay, how do I argue with you? I'm arguing with the Holy Spirit? Usually that's a way to cut off the conversation. Holy Spirit told me, oh. Then. And a lot of times it'll be some wild thing. And I'm like, well, there are other spirits out there talking too. You better be careful because that doesn't jive with scripture. So it's kind of, the Neo-Pentecostal movement will emphasize um, revelation by God outside of the Bible directly to people. I believe that happens sometimes. It's not the norm. And if that differs with Scripture, I guarantee you that is not the Holy Spirit talking. That's, that's for sure. The Holy Spirit, what he says, will always line up with Scripture. He does not contradict his own word. And so you have to be careful. The Bible says be discerning of the spirits. Test them. Because um, there's a lot of... Right? And he still sends us out to do likewise. I've participated in two exorcisms. I did not want to, didn't look for that. It happened. Um, as I say, I've laid hands on people and had them healed. That's not the major part of my ministry. Um, but when it comes, you do what God calls you to do. So it's. Um, the spiritual gifts are not dead. They're still alive in us. Amen. God, God is sovereign. He, he can do anything. And uh, what one thing he doesn't like is for uh, us to be uh, hoarding in on his glory. And uh, unfortunately, in some of these uh, Pentecostal uh, sideshows, uh, people are taking a little bit too much of the credit and glory for what, for what goes on. Well, I told and, a story in here forgive me if you've already heard this and it's boring you, but my first ever hospital visitation as a young pastor, I was an intern at a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and went to Charlotte Memorial Hospital and there was a lady, Delaney Lewis, I still remember her name, she had her appendix taken out. And there was a couple sitting at the foot of the bed who I'd never seen before. And I introduced myself as the uh, student pastor at Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. And Delaney was telling me about her surgery, and then the man, the couple, says, you know, she didn't need to have that surgery. And I said, oh, are you a doctor? He says, no. Um, 
and they turned out to be members of St. Giles Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, which was a charismatic Presbyterian church in the old PCUS, and I knew of it, and it's a great church, it still is. It's now in the EPC, I think. And, um, and I said, well, why didn't she need to have this surgery? Because, well, she could have called us, and my wife and I, we could have come and cast out the demon of appendicitis, and she, I'm like, oh, really? And then I made a mistake, no pastor should ever do, and that's take on a couple in a dialogue that lasted two hours in front of this woman. <laughs> and they led me down a path, I mean, they were talking about how they never get sick, because they rebuke the demons of germs and all this stuff. And I remember I got so exasperated, I said, if what you're telling me is true, does this mean that like if you were driving home today and a drunk driver going 80 miles an hour ran a red light, hit you broadside, he couldn't kill you? The husband looked at me and said, if I saw it coming, I could rebuke it in the name of Jesus, it wouldn't happen. I wonder if that guy carries a spare tire. <laughs> now, those folks are not, there's charismatics and there's charismaniacs, and they were charismaniacs. Yes. I'll tell you this, I used to say in the healing service, you know, all healing done in the name of Jesus is penultimate. Unless Christ returns, you still gonna die. Something gonna get you. Uh, so don't elevate this to like, if I can just get healed, I'm home. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, one day, either Christ is gonna return or you're gonna demise. Then you will be home capital H and there'll be no more need for healing. Yes. We Wait, will was be that whole. our timer that just went off? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. The third time. Now, oh, okay. Now he was watching that, uh, who was it playing in Germany did the football game? It's, you know, you got that on? Okay. Okay, this is the last question. And then we'll take questions from the floor. Where in the Bible does it cover the concept of each man having a God-shaped vacuum? I'm not sure there's any, that phrase appears in scripture, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. That's a, uh, I think that comes from St. Augustine's idea when he says, you, know, you have made us for yourself and our hearts uh, are, restless. are restless until they find their rest in thee. You're kind of like, and people have taken that and said, well, there's a, there's a, if you don't have God, if the Holy Spirit hadn't taken up residence in your heart, there's a, a vacuum. And to go back to that statement about Jesus and the demons, you know, he says, if you, to get rid of demons in your life is not, again, the pen, that's a penultimate thing. If you leave a vacuum, you know, everything abhors a vacuum. He says, unless you put something in there, you're just wide open for more demons. So it's the Holy Spirit. Cultivate your relationship with Christ through the Holy Spirit and there's no room in your life for the demonic possessing you. Um, and, you know, every, I think, again, that's not a scriptural phrase, but I think it's a good theological phrase that there's a God-shaped fact. Nothing can fit. It's like a puzzle piece is missing and you can try to jam something out, but it's a certain design and there's only one piece that's gonna fit in there. And that's God, otherwise you're incomplete. And there's a second question. Why doesn't the church put the pamphlet Steps to Peace with God, Billy Graham Ministries, in the pews anymore? Um, this, the sin chasm is illustrated in it. 
Amen. I'm no longer in charge here. It used to be in their pews. Um, I don't know why. I'll pass this on to Bob Fuller. I'll pass this question on to him. Because you never know who's coming in here and sitting in a pew who might not be listening to your sermon, but they'll see that. And um, yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to add one thing to that question about that God vacuum, although there isn't a specific verse. There's enough teaching in the scripture that lets us know that we, we are incomplete. You will be longing for something. It, it seems over the last 50 years I've heard whenever people are out trying to uh, find fulfillment for their life, they use the phrase, I got to go out and find myself. That's not what you need to find. You, you are the one who got yourself in the trouble you're in. It, 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 it's your fault that, uh, that, that you are unsatisfied and unfulfilled. What you need is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is a, uh, a uh, already, is it up? Well, that's what you need. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because uh, uh, anything else is just going to be like a temporary uh, salve. You know, it, it, it's kind of like putting, uh, you know, a, a, a Band-Aid on a cancer sore that uh, you, you may cover it up for a while, but eventually the trouble is internal and uh, uh, we're, we're sick on the inside. We, we really are totally depraved. And unless the Lord helps us to get straightened out, You'll, you'll never be what the Lord created you to be. So that's, that's just free association of you know, some scriptural uh, truth. But uh, for those of us that had a BC life and we lived in bad ways and, and uh, as unregenerate people do, and then we've come into a personal relationship, it's so much better it's, it's so much more glorious to have that ability to be able to pray and, and know that you have fellowship with the Lord at any time rather than saying, I have to go take this to you know, some church official. So There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I can go straight to him. I don't have to bounce it off of his mother or, uh, or any other saint. Jesus will not accept second place in your life. That's another no. way to say it. I think a lot of us, myself included, I thought being a Christian was you live your life, accumulate all of a sudden, you put a little Jesus on top of it. And that does not please Christ. You know, there's even a secular song. I don't know who wrote it. I, I know Kinky Friedman I did a version of it. Texas G-Boys, one <laughs> yeah. of my favorite band. Yeah. What's that? It's one of my favorite bands, Kinky yeah. Friedman and, and Texas, Texas G-Boys. G-Boys. Yeah, well, they, 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 they sing the song, Nobody Wants to Play Rhythm Guitar Behind Jesus which is, a, it's an interesting title, but you know, uh, and, and the words go, everybody wants to be the lead singer in a band. You know, nobody wants to pay, play rhythm guitar behind you. And, and that's true. We want to take the preeminent place of calling our shots and making our decisions. And uh, you're not smart enough to do that. I mean, it's, it would, it's it, 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 lean on the Lord, depend on him. That's, I think that's the advice you'd get from any, you know, uh, a Bible-centered church. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things that, Matthew, uh, that Jesus mentions in that uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount in, in the last part of chapter 6, leading up to that verse 33, where he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things, you know, the satisfaction, the peace, the comfort, you know, the, the meaningful relationships, all that will be added to you if you put the Lord first. So that's a, 
you know, not, not an oversimplification of it. It's, a, it's the way it is. Put Jesus first and everything else will fall into its right position. We got time for questions from the floor. If anybody else has written some other questions, I want to pass them up. Bill? Well, hypothetically, let's say I'm talking to somebody about Christianity because they're a non-Christian, and I explain to them uh, forgiveness, God's grace, and so forth, and salvation, and then I get to the place where I'm asked, well, where is this heaven? Where is heaven? And how do you answer that? Through Revelation, we know who's there and kind of what it's like and everything, but the next question is, where is it? Yeah, I, I remember listening to a sermon by a preacher one time and said, you know, heaven's a real place. We can get in a rocket ship and get there if we just had enough fuel. And I was like, well, then what's the need for Jesus? Isn't that what that Heaven's Gate thing did when they, when they, uh, they, they tried to hitchhike to that comet? I guess. The final moment. You, you know, the uh, where is heaven? It's the fulfilled kingdom. Of, it's where God resides. How do you get there? Jesus said, I am the way to get there. Um, you can't tell somebody, well, here, let me show you a map where it is. Um, and there's no way to get there yes. other than through that personal relationship with, with Christ. I think. And so that's, that's all you can tell them. Yes. Um, but it's God's desire for you to experience that eternal destiny with him. So wherever God is, there is heaven. Um, there's, there's three realms we deal with. We, we see the immediate creation by day. We see the second uh, uh, firmament by night. And the third one, heaven, we see by faith. Well, I think I need to say, you know, I, th I believe Scripture teaches that heaven will actually be a recreation of the earth in its Garden of Eden-like state. We're not, heaven's not going to be a ethereal state spiritual place we were going to get resurrection bodies just like Jesus flesh and bone body God cr pronounces the creation very good and he never rescinds that analysis and says we just need to get rid of this and you all be just spirits like me no uh, it's going to be a recreation of earth without all the junk that we won't be worrying about illness and death or climate. Climate change. Or plastic in the ocean. Well, there'll probably be climate change. If you don't believe in climate change, I mean, climate change from the day before yesterday uh, is changing every day. But I'm talking about in an, uh, a way that's destroying the earth. So, um, and I'll argue that that's not even happening. But uh, as a scientist, I can. Most scientists don't believe it, most politicians do. There's a reason for that. Judy? comment on, uh, we're always told about how important we are individually, it's we're total individuals and a personal uh, relationship with Jesus, but it seems like we read constantly in the Bible about how hordes of people are wiped out and as if their individual lives don't mean anything, and I have trouble reconciling that. I do too. Well, I, I mean, you know, if I was if I was God, I'd save everybody and, and um, tie a nice bow on it and make. You have a choice. You can take scripture for what it says or what you want it to say. I prefer the former, 
And that leaves us with an angular God, a God that he's just not domesticated like I want him to be. You can't defang him, declaw him, and yet he's a God who loves and cares, and he goes to a cross, willing to go that far to hell, literally and back, to save us. But you know, we tend to look at Scripture and our relationship with Christ through a Western individualistic lens. This book is not Western, it's, it's Oriental, and if you know anything about Oriental cultures, they're not individualistically oriented. Like, they're more familial and covenantal. And uh, when I go to Jakarta, Indonesia, it's all about family. And I remember in my church in Baltimore, we decided to put fund 12 evangelists on the field in, in Cambodia, in the hill country of, uh, for the Wa people. It's an unreached people group. And so I went over there after a couple of years, they'd been in action and visited them to see what they were doing. And I sat down and they were all native evangelists. And I said, what's your strategy for winning these villages to Christ? And he said, oh, all we have to do is win the head man. I said, wait a minute, you have to win each person in? No, we end up, the head man accepts Christ. <laughs> no, that can't happen. But you see it in scripture, the Philippian jailer um, who's going to kill himself, you know? And Paul says, don't do that. Nobody's run away from the prison. And then the jailer says, what do I need to be saved? And Paul explains, and the guy accepts Christ, and says, he and his whole family were baptized. I'm going to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got to have a baptismal class, teach them all, that, you know, we've got to examine each one of them. And, uh, I mean, that's my Western individualistic thing, but apparently... You get this whole, God brings families all at once to Christ. He brings nations sometimes to himself. And like, okay, God, I got to stop and say, you're going to do it your way. And I'm going to work with you, not against you. So have at it. Use me. Uh, but, it, but I'm uncomfortable with, you know, I was reading today in Lamentations how God, you know, He's angry and he just wipes out all these people. I think, is there any hope for any of those folks? I don't like that. But the thing is to keep asking questions. You may not get all your questions answered. You know, it's like that little kid. He was asking, "Dad, why is the sun yellow?" I don't know, son. Why, why is the uh, the ocean blue? I, I don't know, son. Why, why can't you know we? You know, these stars, they, they look in certain shape. How come they, I, I don't know, son. He said, Dad, are you getting tired of me asking questions? He said, no, son. How do you expect to learn anything if you don't ask questions? <laughs> so so, so he, you keep on asking questions, and eventually you, you, you will, you, you will triangulate. You will get, you know, just like your GPS works, uh, we may not answer them, but if you ask other people on staff here, and you'll start to get a triangulated, you know, you'll, you, you'll start to hone in on something. But keep on asking questions, make sure that they're founded on the authority of Scripture, and eventually you'll be satisfied with what you hear. And there's that famous C.S. Lewis quote that I say to myself probably every day at some point. Uh, we're going to spend the first 10,000 years in heaven going, oh, now I understand. Right. And, so. and, and, and nobody will complain. It'll be absolutely perfect. Part of the thing to remember, too, is that nobody, I mean nobody, deserves anything but hell. 
if you start there, then you, and, and you say, why me, Lord? Why am I saved? Instead of worrying about why is that guy not saved That's or what happened to him. So, um, Before the foundation of the world. And then we're out saving people. We convince someone they can be saved. Maybe they're not chosen. So how, how do we deal with you, how do you know you're chosen? We don't. Only, you, only one person can know that. Only, you can only know if you're chosen. You can't know if. So, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Yeah, I was at a missions conference in a church. I told the story before again. Forgive me. And it's hell's angel. I mean, he was beard, leather jacket, the whole nine, is walking down the hall of this church. And I flesh, I said, what the hell is he doing here? This missions conference. And then I go to the exhibit hall during a break, and there he is behind a booth called Bikers for Christ. And I went up to him and I said, I've come to confess. And he just started laughing. He said, you're about the ninth one. Uh, <laughs> And he said, I was, I was a hell's angel. And he was a, what do you call it, 1% or something? Where they actually yes. killed somebody? He, was, he said, I was one. They go out and do it on purpose to get that certain rank in the club. Yeah. And he said, I was a hell's angel. And I came to Christ. Now I go where they go. And I try to bring them to the Lord. But you assume everyone is chosen. I, I never look at somebody go, anymore and go, obviously that person's not. You don't know. So you treat everybody as if they're the elect. And, and, and you just share the gospel with everybody. And you don't win anybody to Christ. The Holy Spirit does that. But he might use your witness. But he doesn't need your witness. The thief on the cross, nobody, there was no, nobody sharing the four spiritual laws with him. He just sat there and looked at Jesus and realized the Holy Spirit went, regenerated his heart. Didn't do any good works. Didn't, didn't join, have time to get baptized. Didn't join the church. Yeah, he didn't go through the baptismal class. That's not the norm, though. He's, no, it's he's, not. he's not the norm. The norm is that you. So you just. George Whitfield, the great Anglican evangelist who's friends with John Wesley. Wesley thought it was all up to us. We had to make the choice. Whitfield didn't. But Whitfield was the better, he believed, doctrine of election. He was the better evangelist. More people were coming to Christ through Whitfield. This irked Wesley. And West, they used to talk about it, and Whitfield finally said, John, John, you worry too much. You're always trying. Maybe I should have been more angry in my sermon, or, or more funny. Or, and Whitfield says, John, I just sow the gospel promiscuously, and then I go to bed, and I sleep well. And you're up all night. And share the gospel promiscuously. I love that phrase. Yeah. And today, if you hear the Lord's voice, don't harden your heart. You know, when, when we do talk to people, we don't know how the Lord is preparing their heart, but we can tell them, man, don't be so hard and, and to be so vindictive and say, well, you know, blaming God for this or that. If you hear the Lord's voice, if you sense that he's drawing you, open up your heart and, and let him draw you in. I think our time is up. It is. It is. Thank you all for your question. Obviously, you made me feel real good. I must have done such a great job explaining the Apostles' Creed that there weren't any questions really about it. So, uh, <laughs> so I am going to pass this one question on to Bob, and the rest will be put in the 
Come bury them. We'll cremate them. Okay. Thanks for your good questions. Paul, you want us to close this in prayer? Father, help us to always seek your will and your word for any question that we have, Lord. Help us to find our total satisfaction in you and in the person and work of your son that you sent for us. Help us, Lord, to find all of our delight in him and to rejoice in him. And thank you for all your goodness, Lord, to us. And it's in Jesus' name we agree together. Amen. Amen.